Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. The title of my message this morning is Shadows and Copies. And, you know, I have been playing guitar for my whole life, pretty much. It is my absolute number one favorite thing to do. Uh, it's something that energizes me. It's very therapeutic. If I've had a bad day or a bad week, I will go home and I'll just sit and strum on my guitar. And it just, I just find it so refreshing and relaxing. But um, when I first started learning guitar, I was six years old when I got my first guitar. I remember that day I was just so excited. It was probably it's still one of the best days of my life when my parents brought me my first guitar. It was this little blue cheap acoustic guitar and I just loved it. Um, I didn't want to throw it away. I wanted to keep it forever but somehow my parents got rid of it. Um, it was probably because I kept buying more guitars and they didn't like that. Um, <laughs> but um, I had an amazing guitar teacher. She was amazing. She played like 27 instruments, um, like all sorts of weird instruments too, like trombone and flute, but she was an amazing guitar teacher. But she was one of those people that she drilled into me the basics of music. She taught me how to read music. She taught me all the notes and all the chords and all this stuff. Like it was just, and it got to a point where she had taught me the basics so well that I just found it so overwhelming. And um, when I moved away and had to start teaching myself guitar because we we're living in Russia and I couldn't speak the language and all this stuff, so I started teaching myself and I very quickly started giving up on guitar because it was just the amount of notes and the amount of chords and all the different notes that you had to be able to read and all the different types of music. I just found it so overwhelming. And it went on like that for a few years until I was about 12 or 13. I had another amazing guitar teacher come into my life, and he didn't teach me the basics. He started teaching me patterns in music, all different patterns, all these different things on the guitar neck that just made it so incredibly easy. He taught me all this stuff about how to build chords that just made it so incredibly easy, so incredibly simple to follow. And it was like a new world opened up for me. And very quickly, I went from finding guitar overwhelming and so challenging to something that I absolutely loved doing. I could play guitar every day. I got to a point where I was playing guitar at least two hours every single day. I was in the worship band at church. I was in um, two other bands outside of church. I was going to different, getting invited to different youth conferences to play guitar because we were just so passionate about it um, to the point where I very seriously considered a career in music for a long time. And when I started teaching my own students, kids that had never played guitar, kids that had never played an instrument, I taught them the basics because the basics are so important, so important to have those basics, but I also taught them the patterns at the same time. And I very quickly, one student in particular, she, when she'd been doing guitar with me for two years, she was already getting to the point where she was better than me at guitar because she'd had these patterns and these basic things. And she's now just started university in the US but when she went to boarding school, because um, her family were loaded, <laughs> she went to boarding school 
and she joined an orchestra. And after a few months of being in the orchestra there, she sent me a message and she said, Luke, thank you so much for teaching me those basics. Thank you so much for teaching me those patterns because I am the top of my class in my orchestra and I've only been here for three months. There are kids that have been playing instruments for years and I'm ahead of them because I've had this stuff. So just thank you. And, you know, she just got into university and that's been part of her journey and she loves music. But it's just amazing to see how taking something so simple, taking a pattern and adding it, making the basics applicable and giving it application and giving it context makes it so much easier. And, you know, my Christian journey almost parallels my music journey to a, to a T. Like, they're almost like parallel spot on. I have been going to church my whole life. I cannot remember a single Sunday where I intentionally missed church. My whole life, my parents are Christians. I've had Christians, I've had amazing leaders, amazing kids pastors, youth pastors, mentors, um, senior pastors. Like my whole life, I've had all these amazing Christians and they were amazing at drilling in the basics of Christianity. What you must do and what you mustn't do and the, you know, you have to pray every single day and you have to do this. You know, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. Like that, for me, that is an overwhelming number of things to remember to do, things that you can't do. And I very quickly in my Christian journey, especially in my teenage years, I got so overwhelmed with the amount of things that I had to do and didn't have to do to the point where as long as people thought I was doing it, I was okay with that. You know, I, I watched a video about two weeks ago. It was on YouTube, and it was called I Stopped Believing in God After Pastoring a Megachurch. Now, I don't encourage you to watch it because it's a bit biased. And, but as I was watching this video, it was about a couple who had grown up Christian their whole life. Um, they had gone to church their whole life. They um, didn't kiss before they got married. They... Um, they worked in church, they got to being pastors, they went to Bible college, all that. They were pastoring a church of 10,000 people in the US. They were worship leaders and youth pastors, and this couple um, had ticked every single box of what you're supposed to do when you're a Christian. And they, she very elegantly put it in the video, I had a transactional ideology of who God was. That as long as I was ticking the boxes, as long as I was doing the right thing, as long as I was meeting the right requirements, God would love me and he would pour his blessing out on me. And all of it was going really well. The church was paying for their house. The church was paying for their car. The church was paying for their petrol. They were serving all the time. And it all fell apart very quickly when they found out that they, could, they wanted to have children, but they couldn't conceive. And I don't know why that happened, but very quickly their church went, oh, you must be doing something wrong. You must be sinning. You mustn't, you, are you praying enough? Are you praying hard enough? We've been praying for you. Why isn't it happening? And very quickly their idea of who God was and who the church was and all this fell apart. And they had nothing to go back on. And they fell out of ministry and out of the church. And now they're making BuzzFeed videos. Um, but you know, as I watched that video, you know, it, I found it in, extremely uncomfortable. I was 16 years old when I had my first true revelation of who God was. 
16. I'd been in the church my whole life, and it took me till I was 16. It took this couple were mature Christians. They were pastors and worship leaders in a church, and they didn't have a revelation of who God was. Like, that makes me uncomfortable. That, that scares me a little bit to think that mature Christians, pastors, didn't know who God was because they'd missed the pattern of who God was. They'd miss the pattern of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm thinking if it's that hard for pastors, if it's that hard for mature Christians, imagine how hard it is for Christian for people walking into church for the first time, never being in a church. Imagine how hard it is would be for them to see the pattern. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you're part of the problem and I'm not having a go at you this morning, but I was part of the problem. For 16 years, I can tell you that I would have gone into church and I would not have sat next to a homeless person. I would not have sat next to someone who was sleeping around. I would not have sat next to a gay person because my idea of God was I had to prove how good I was. I had to stand out. I had to make sure that I was ticking the boxes. And I didn't want to be associated with anybody else who wasn't ticking the boxes. And so there was probably a bunch of people that came into church when, when I was in my teenage years that probably didn't come back to church because nobody loved them. Nobody embraced them. Nobody showed them the pattern of who God really was. All they would see is people ticking boxes and getting kicked out because they don't, they don't fit the mold. You know, there is a pattern to... To following Jesus. And we need to start showing it so much better. It's, it's, when I had a revelation of God, I went, oh. I remember one of, the wor- one of the most impacting things that I heard when I had that revelation of who God was, that church isn't a museum for good people. It's a hospital for the broken. And I ha- when I heard those words, I went, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm going to start searching how to help people, how to embrace people. How to- it's not about ticking the boxes. It's about... Loving people. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 22, the priests and the teachers and the disciples come to Jesus and they ask Jesus in chapter 22, verse 36 to 39, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, Jesus takes 613 laws and breaks it down to two. See, the pattern is simple. The pattern is easy to follow. And we don't need to complicate it. We don't need to mess it up with our stuff. You know, I I spent years messing up the pattern because I thought I had to tick off the boxes. I had to complicate the pattern. I had to do this. But then Jesus does something even more cool in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, I want to encourage you to read it. But at the start of John chapter 13, Jesus, it's the night before Jesus is going to die. And he takes his disciples upstairs to an upper room and they have dinner together. And while they're up there having dinner... Jesus gets a towel, wraps it around his waist, gets down on his knees, and washes his disciples' feet. Now, I want to put that into context. The creator, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, is down on his knees washing his disciples' feet. And, you know, his disciples were all men, like fully grown men. 
They walked around in sandals all day. In a, time, in a time period where there was no paved roads, like they're walking around on dirt, people left their rubbish out on just wherever, like their feet would have been disgusting. <laughs> you know, I, I don't like feet. Like I, I, I just, I just, I don't like feet. But um, imagine like the king of kings is down washing his disciples' feet. And then a few verses on in, in verse 34, Jesus goes, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The pattern is simple. Jesus has taken 613. He's broken it down to two. Now he's broken it down to one. And it's simple, yet it's profound. You see, when you, when you have just one rule like that, love one another as I have loved you, there's no loopholes there. There's no, nothing you can add on to that. There's no way around it. It's, it's so simple yet so profound. It's not, there's, like try and think of an argument against love one another as I have loved you. Yeah. Like you can't, I can't think of anything. I spent time this week thinking, well, how could I argue? I can't argue with that. Because it's so simple, there's, there's, nothing, there's nowhere else to go with that. Because the pattern is simple and we don't need to complicate it. God will love you if, no, God loves you already. And he's called you to love as he loves you. His disciples, like Jesus' disciples, a bunch of them were just fishermen. We don't really know what they were like or anything like that. But we know one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, he was called a thief. Another one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. And in the time period, tax collectors worked for the Roman government. They were absolutely hated. They swindled people out of money. So the, the Roman government put a tax, but they didn't pay their tax collectors. So the tax collectors would take the amount that Rome needed, and then they'd take extra on top so for themselves. And they could just set whatever tax level they wanted. So the Jews hated tax collectors. And all the tax collectors were Jewish citizens to sort of, you know, upstir the pot more. Romans liked to do that. Another one of Jesus' disciples was called a zealot. And what he would be considered in today's time, he would basically be a terrorist. He is someone who went up against the Roman government. He would have uh, killed people and robbed Roman places and sort of tried to get rid of the Roman government in Israel. These were the people that Jesus hung out with. You know, the Bible tells us that he hung out with prostitutes and that he hung out with, with um, tax collectors, all these, sort of, all these sorts of people. And yet we find, like, because love as he had loved I can imagine him pulling his disciples inside. When I first met you, where were you? I loved you then. Like, I loved you when you were a tax collector. I loved you when you were a thief. I loved you when you were attacking Romans. Because love as he had loved us, the pattern is simple. And we just have to do it as he has done it. Um, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, the verse that I opened with this morning. They served in a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. You know, the tabernacle and then later on the temple were God's dwelling place on earth. And in... In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. You know, if we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, then that means that we should be a copy and a shadow of what's in heaven. That we should build ourselves according to the pattern that God had given us. Because he's dwelling in us. So my second point this morning is the pattern has to come from the source. It has to come from the original. There's no, see, if we, we can't add on to it, but we can't create the pattern. If we're creating the pattern, it's the wrong pattern. See, the pattern has to come from the original. It has to come from the source. You know, it talks about being a copy and a shadow. Have any of you ever tried to photocopy a photocopy? Yeah. It, the, more, the further away you get from the original source, the messier it gets. The, so if you take the original and you copy it, you get a clear, crisp copy. But if you copy that copy, it gets blurrier, more pixelated, more broken, and you lose it. It has to come from the source to be clear. Yeah. It, you know, when your shadow is the clearest is when you get like a two or three o'clock afternoon sun and the shadow is coming right out of your foot onto the footpath. And that shadow, if you move your hand, you can see all your fingers. You can see all the definition. But as soon as the light source gets further and further away, the shadow gets further away and blurrier and murky and it loses definition. You know, God wants us to represent him, to love like him in full HD, full color, on the best TV, we're meant to be a clear yeah. and awesome. and power, like yeah. clear copy of who He is. Yeah. Very good. A copy and a shadow. I want to be as close to God. When He moves, I want to move. When He speaks, I want to speak what He's speaking. When He shows love, I want to love how He loves because that's what we're called to do. It's not about us. Yeah. See, the best copies and the clearest shadows come straight from the source, straight from the original, straight. Up from that source. You know, the, my third point this morning is the pattern requires no addition or add-ons. doesn't need anything extra. God doesn't want us to love people with our own sort of whatever's going on. It's not about us. It's not about, it's not about our idea. It's love as I have loved you. Not love as you think or not love as you feel. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8, Paul writes what love is. He gives a clear definition of what love is. And I'll tell you a spoiler. It's not love is a warm and fuzzy feeling that you get when you see people that you like. Love is hard. Like, I, I, I truly believe that love is a choice. It's not, it's not something that, that we we get a warm feeling. It's something that we choose to do. You know, Paul writes in Corinthians 13, 4 to 8, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hope, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will seize. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. You know, without love, like earlier on in, in those verses, it says, without love, we are, 
are like um, clanging symbols or, or to, you know, if, if we're just doing stuff without loving people, if we're trying to represent the church and who God is without love, we're just tuning our own horn. Yeah. It, it makes no sense because it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need any additions. But when I read those, I think, man, that's so hard. Love is patient. I, I don't have an inch of patience. Like, I am the most impatient person I know. Love always trusts. I'm a, I, I'm a cynic. Like, I, don't try to sell me stuff. I just, I'm not buying. Like, I, I want to see, like, everything, all the evidence and everything. Like, I will not just, you know, oh, do you want to buy it? No, I don't want to buy it. I don't know what that is. I, like, I, you could be trying to scam me. I don't know. Like, love always perseveres, always hopes. You know, I've been leading youth here at church for just over a year now. And to this day, there are still kids that just drive me bananas. They're just, you know, the most common two things that I say at youth, and it's become a bit of a joke, is I say, stop swearing and put your damn shoes on. Because kids just will not leave their shoes on. Like, come on. And it's the same kids, and it's been the same kids forever. (laughs) And some people would go, well, Luke, you know, you've been telling them for a year now. Like, come on. Like, just, you know, see you later. Like, either wear your shoes or go. But, you know... That's not the pattern. Because I think about how God loves me. And when I stuff up and when I get angry and when I say things I shouldn't say, God doesn't kick me out. God doesn't throw me on the curb. God doesn't, you know, it's it's not see you later. It's, no, come on, let's sort this out. You know, one of the the best examples of God's love that I, I can think of in the whole Bible is when Adam eats the fruit in the garden and God must have been heartbroken. I think I've shared this like the last three times I've preached, but when God comes to the garden heartbroken, disappointed, it's not, hey, Adam, like, what are you doing, you great galoot? Like, no, it's, Adam, where are you? And God deals out some consequences. There are consequences for our actions, but in the same moment that he's dissing out consequences, he makes a promise of a savior. He makes a promise of redemption, and then he takes a sheep and he clothes them, and we see this patient God, this kind God, this God who is not easily angered, this God who always protects a God who always trusts, a God who always hopes, a God who always perseveres, a God whose love never failed. Even when Adam rejected and turned his back on his creator, God still loved him. He was still patient. He was still kind. He was still gentle. He was still loving because that's who God is. And then God asks us to love as I have loved you. That's the pattern. That's, you know, I can relate that to my dad. You know, when I, when, especially when my siblings and I were, were kids, um, if we ever went anywhere where there was water, you could guarantee that one of us three kids would end up in the water. It wouldn't matter what it was. It would be a duck pond or the beach or anything. Like, one of us was going in the water. 
And dad would get mad. He hated it. It Especially my sister. She was like part fish. Like if there was water nearby, she was in it. And she did, you know, you, you could guarantee it. You could have taken it to the bank. If my parents went anywhere where there was water, one of us was going in. But then at the end of the day, dad would get us out of the water and he'd probably shout at us or, or give us a smack or something. Like there was a consequence. But then he would go to the car and find some old T-shirt or some old towel or a tarp or whatever was in there. He'd wrap us up with it, put us in the car, take us home, clean us up. Like, that's how God loves us. We stuff up. We, 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 we do things like we annoy things. Like, but at the end of the day, God shows up and he still loves us. He cleans us up and he keeps walking the journey with us. Because that's just, that's just who he is. Love as I have loved you. It, it's up to us to, to, to represent God, to, to, to show that love. That's what we're called to do. That's the pattern. Love as I have loved you. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 and 14, Moses says to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. But if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You know, Moses is recognized as being one of the most humble people. And I love his heart in verse 13. If we could just leave verse 13 on the screen for a minute. If you are pleased with me, teach your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. You know, a little bit shortly after this verse, Moses asked God for his glory to pass in front of him. He says to God, show me your glory. And God, God does it. He passes in front of Moses. And, you know, I've, I thought about that verse. And, you know, I truly believe that if Moses' heart hadn't been, God, show me, teach me your ways. Let me see the pattern. Help me to find favor with you. I don't think God would have passed in front of Moses. You know, we have to, if we want to represent God, we have to know God. We have to, to know who he is and we have, to, we have to recognize where we've come from. You know, I think such an important part of being a Christian is, is recognizing, hey, I am a sinner. I am broken, I, but when I was broken, God still loved me. And I think Moses, of all people, recognized that. He knew that he knew that God had done something special for him. God had done something amazing in his life. That his station and where he was wasn't just a fluke of him being ticking off boxes, but God had picked him out of, you know, someone who wasn't that amazing, someone who wasn't that, you know, that good. And God still worked through him. You know, we never know the people that God is going to put into our path. We never know, like I so often think that God puts people into our paths that we think we're having an impact on them, but they're having a more profound impact on us. That some of those kids at youth that I look at 
and they drive me crazy and I tell them to put their shoes on every single week and I tell them to stop swearing every single week, that they're probably having a more profound impact on me than I'm having on them. You know, there's a, a verse in James that um, talks about um, Rahab the prostitute. And it, James says, it wasn't even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous when she hid the spies. Like, I look at that and I go, you know, we don't know what God is doing in other people. We don't know the impact he is having, but we do know the impact he's had on us. We do know the things that he's, when I had a revelation of God, it changed my world. It changed who I was and it changed my goals and my purpose because God did something in me. And we don't know what God, we, we can't change other people. We can't change their hearts, but God can. And we've got to be showing them who God is. You know, when, when God's glory passed in front of Moses that day, when Moses came off the mountain, he was glowing, like physically glowing, his face. He had to cover his face because it would freak people out. Like, I want to glow. I want to be so close to God and so good at representing who he is that something shines out of me that, that people go, whoa, what is that? Because I'm following the pattern. I'm following who God is. I'm loving as he has loved me. And it doesn't matter what God's doing in other people, but I'm just going to keep loving them. I'm just going to keep doing what God has called me to do, following the pattern. If we live our lives with the same desire as Moses had in verse 13, going, God, show me who you are. Show me your pattern. Show me how to live the way that you want me to live. And living in pursuit of his favor alone, we're going to shine. There's going to be shining out, like there's going to be something about us that people will go, I want in on that. I want to be part of that church. I want to, be, I want to know those people. I want to know this God that they're representing. You know, I think God, Jesus calls us to glow with such an intensity that people stop seeing us and start just seeing Jesus. I want to glow. I want to represent God. I want to be a copy and a shadow of who he is. And I think as a church, that's what we're called to be. We're called to represent the pattern. It doesn't need any add-on. It doesn't need any... Um, extension, it's just got to be simple. Simply coming and going, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love the people that walk through those doors. And when people walk into, a, into those doors on a Sunday morning and they see people who just love each other, then that's going to have an impact on our community. It's going to have an impact on our society. It's going to have, we've got to stop ticking boxes and start just loving. Because that's what God's called us to do, to love as he loves us. I want to glow and represent Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you love us. I thank you that you embrace us and God, that you, you loved us even when we were a mess, even when we were broken, you still loved us. And God, I just pray right now over our whole church, God, and, and myself, that you would just give us a new capacity to love, God. You would we would have hearts open to love the way that you love us. God, that we would be so close and so intimate with you that we would reflect you, that people would stop seeing us and they start seeing you. God, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that we would be representations of who you are. Yes.
God, we thank you. You know, while every head's bowed and, and eyes are closed, you know, if you're hearing about this pattern that I've been talking about this morning for the first time, if, you, if you're hearing about this God that loves you and embraces you, this God who is gentle, this God who always perseveres, whose love never fails, and you want to start a journey of living on this pattern, of knowing this God, I want to invite you to just raise your hand this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I'm just going to acknowledge that your hand was up and then we're going to pray together. But I just want to take a moment to invite you. It's just doing a physical action representing what's happening in your heart. I want to know this God. I want to meet this God. I want to start living what this God has called me to do. So if you just want to pop your hand, I'm just going to take a second. You know, maybe this morning you've been, you used to follow the pattern. You used to know God, but for some reason you've, you've turned away or you've started living, just ticking the boxes but you want to come back. You want to start to embrace this God and you want to start to see his pattern in your life. I want to invite you to put your hand up. Yeah, God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us. And God, I just pray over our church again, God, that we would just have hearts that love you, God, that want to follow you, that want to embrace you, that hearts that want to see your ways and, and learn who you are, God. We just thank you for this in your heavenly name. Amen.